Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome to another edition of Inside Arsenal Extra Time. It feels like a long time, James, since we got together to do one of this. Not been, what is it? It wasn't seven days, it's been eight days, isn't it? It's an extra day because we thought we'd wait until after the England game to record this. How has the international break been for you? Yeah, it's been great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was at Wembley and we can maybe start by talking about that. I have had Wembley last night. I'm at the streets tonight, which I feel like is probably one of the few musical acts we could both agree on the excellence of. Um, so I feel like I'm using my international break time productively. What about yourself? First of all, I don't like the streets. No! Yeah, I I sure why, do you, why do you presume that I like the streets? Uh, Naughties, isn't it? You're no, golden. I'll tell you what, you've just reminded me what I should have been doing this morning and I forgot to do. And you've just reminded me by bringing up music, which I know is going to annoy you. And I thought I've got to bring this up to James Benj, is that uh, I am very, very excited at the fact that Liam Gallagher's announced the uh, Definitely Maybe 30 tour and the pre-sale, <laughs> pre-sale tickets went on sale today for Manchester because I want to go up to Manchester and do it properly next June on the Saturday night. And I need to make sure I get my hands on those tickets. And but yeah, pre-sale was started this morning and I forgot. And you just reminded me on that. So I need to get on that. And yeah, fancy, fancy coming? No, it's like... Uh, it's the worst Gallagher brother as well. Oh God, I can't. I mean, it would be churlish for me to claim that definitely maybe has like no good tunes on it, but definitely maybe has no good tunes. No, it's. I mean, obviously, definitely. You'd like if you're if you're taking me see Liam Gallagher, I'd want to do you know one where he does not play any of his solo material, nothing from BDI. It's a definitely maybe. Yeah, it's that's exactly that sounds all right. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to be like, and now a new song. And I know everyone. Will I don't think he is. And the cues are the. It's every song and definitely maybe and the B sides from that era as well. Um, my I biggest mean, regret, you... honestly, mate. My biggest regret in my gig going life, and I was a big. I went to a lot of gigs when I was, when I was, uh, when I was, uh, what, what do I describe myself as a kid? Maybe a little bit older than a kid. Um, I loved it. My biggest regret is I never saw Oasis live because I was such a Blur fan that... Sitting there, there, now we're talking. I could not bring myself to go to see Oasis because I felt like I'd be cheating on Blur and that rivalry. And this is way before your time, I know. Um, But that rivalry was so... It was just such a brilliant time for music. That just like, it was so, so good. And I honestly, I could not bring myself. And I'm always like this. It's like I could never play a Sega uh console because i was such a nintendo boy and um yeah i was very much like that with blur and oasis but i regret it so much now so i have to go i have to get tickets for, <laughs> for the 30-year anniversary absolutely on, on blur and this will be particularly relevant to our youtube viewers i mean finish finish our show first of all it's going to be a good one i think but afterwards if you go and find footage of blur's glastonbury headline set in 2009 and you look for a person um a, he's crying a lot of the time in a sort of white, red and blue uh, check shirt thing that was very much in at the time. That is James Benj uh, near the front row of Blur's legendary 2009 Glastonbury performance. Uh, partly the tears are it's Sunday night at Glastonbury. Um, but like, I am with you that I went, uh, Blur are, you know, the Britpop kings. And uh, I wish I'd seen them at Wembley this year. That Those gigs apparently were incredible. Yeah, they were apparently incredible. I was crying that night watching Blair, but I wasn't crying at Glastonbury. I was crying in my bedroom because all of my mates were in Glastonbury and I wasn't, and I decided <laughs> not to go. And I watched that set and I just thought, I cannot believe I have not gone to this when all my mates are there watching that. And yeah, yeah, that is another big regret of mine. But look, we're up, good to, one. we're up to four minutes, 10 seconds. And we haven't mentioned Arsenal yet, James. Good. This is, of course, inside Arsenal extra time. So I hope all of you guys are still watching after our impromptu chat about oasis versus blur um but yeah aside from that been a good international break not been uh missing arsenal too much it's like you know it's too it's a bit like jaws isn't it it's too quiet 
suspicious something or not. What about you? Yeah, no, I've... Uh... Have I enjoyed it? No, I haven't. I never enjoy international breaks. It's kind of weird, though. It's like going into it on the back of that Man City win. It was like, well, you can go into it and just enjoy that win for like two weeks. But also, you just desperately want to sort of try and back up that win and win another game. And of course, there's a really big game coming up this Saturday, which we're going to spend a large chunk, I imagine, of this show talking about. Um, So yeah, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad by the looks of it, Everyone is returning home injury-free. Touch wood. I haven't heard anything. Um, there's going to be no reports from, you know, whatever countries the players have been representing that anyone has got injured. So, fingers crossed that is the case. And Arsenal have a clean bit of health when they get home. Um, well, they'll be arriving today, won't they? So, uh, yeah, you were at Wembley last night, weren't you? That was a good win for England. I thought they played really, really well. I was watching it at the pub, so... Um, uh, and they didn't have the sound on, but it was a really, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good performance. And Jude Bellingham <laughs> was an unbelievable player. Jude Bellingham is just outrageous what he's doing at his age. I mean, like, you're really conscious, aren't you, that, that we, England, the England football public, get carried away very quickly. But um, like, he's one of the best players in the world. Like, this guy is incredible. And he wasn't a number 10 really that much before this season. And Ancelotti's asked him to do that for Madrid. And it's it's like he's played there his his whole life. He was he was brilliant. You know, like the glory days of sort of Arsene Wenger football where and, and Leith will attest. I was sat in the press box just guffawing on multiple occasions because Jude Bellingham had done something else absolutely ridiculous. The interplay between him and Foden and Rice and and all those guys. I mean, it is a special time to be a part of the England viewing public. And um, I mean, I don't know if we'll go and win Euro 2024, but I feel like these guys aren't going to sort of let let it or have kind of frustrate England in the same way that um, that the golden generation did. And I think that's who we'll always compare them to. But yeah. Really good day. They've just got that swagger about them, this this group, that I think sort of makes them a little bit different. Obviously, they've got tournament experience now. They've gone deep in the last few tournaments, not gone all the way, but they've gone deep. And I think that's going to help them. But they just the way they carry themselves, and especially Bellingham, mm. you know, he's someone so young. He's just got that Henri-like arrogance where he knows he's that good <laughs> and... And he's just not afraid to show it. And, you know, some of the top, top players, they need that, I think, that really sort of sets them apart from, you know, killing Mbappe. And I'm not saying Bellingham's killing Mbappe yet or Henri yet, but he's just got that same sort of air of arrogance about him when he's on the pitch and he just knows, yeah, I can pretty much do what I want on this pitch. I'm, I'm that good. And, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting in the Euros. I mean, if it's going to take a good team to beat England at the Euros. So that'll be, um, that'll be one to watch. France obviously have done very, very well. Portugal have qualified as well and actually talking in Portugal that sort of brings us on pretty nicely to someone I wanted to sit down and discuss about a few questions regarding this and we both thought it might be a, a decent sort of time during the international break to discuss him I know that you want to talk about him as well um Pedro Neto player consistently being linked with Arsenal as we get edge towards the January transfer window you know will Arsenal make a move will they sort of reignite that interest that we know they had a couple of summers ago um i mean we're getting lots of questions coming in about him first of all what were you what would your what are your sort of thoughts on neto as a player and as a potential arsenal target yeah i mean it's, it's easy isn't it to dive into all the details about how much it would cost whether it's the right position but sort of immediately if i look at pedro neto i see a player that i think would thrive and excel in this arsenal side probably as that backup to Martinelli and Saka, which I, I think we've seen Arteta needs over the last few weeks, as good as Arsenal were defensively against City and obviously as wonderful as that result was. It was a rare game without Martinelli and Saka and you felt without them, you just wanted that third option that brings a little bit of oomph, a little bit of ball carrying, stretching play in behind, whether that's getting to the byline, getting to crossing positions, shooting positions. And look, Neto has all of that, you know, this guy looks really special for a very ordinary Wolves team. I mean, he is going to carry a huge creative burden if Wolves are going to stay up. And, you know, if Wolves are going to stay up, they're probably going to need to keep a hold of Pedro Neto for the whole season. But we can come on to that as the conversation goes. But for me, 
he just he looks like an Arsenal player. Uh, he looks like a Mikel Arteta Arsenal forward. And um, there aren't many of those guys out there in the Premier League in Europe. So I think if you're interested in one, you really need to be doing all your due diligence and making sure he's he's as interested in you as, as you have been in him. Yeah, I remember watching an interview of him. I think it was an old interview, but it did the rounds again. Obviously, everyone getting excited. And he was asked, you know, what's your, who was your team when you were sort of growing up, your English team? And he, he said Arsenal. And uh, so maybe that will help because I imagine there are going to be a fair few clubs sniffing around if stroke when um, Jorge Mendes does his business and get, gets him out of uh, gets him out of walls, which I suggest is not going to be too far away. Whether it be January, like you said, I mean, I think he's so important to them in terms of staying up because we know Wolves struggle in the final third. They don't score many goals. They don't create that many opportunities. And you take Neto out of that side and, you know, they're going to struggle to stay up even with some pretty poor quality teams in the Premier League. Um, I think he's got five assists already this season. He'd only got like, I think he'd got one in the last two seasons combined or something really mad stats I someone saw. Uh, I haven't actually checked him out myself. He's, he's averaging uh, 0.55 assists per 90 minutes. And Bukayo Saka, who I think has had a pretty great creative season, is at half that level. So yeah, yeah. right now he has burst out of the traps and yeah, I think it is uh, five, assi five assists. Five assists. Not bad yeah, at all. Not bad at all. He just looks like that Pedro Neto we saw look so, so impressive a couple of years ago before the injury, didn't he? The injury definitely took its toll and kind of hampered him a little bit. And he did, you know, last season, he was, no, he was nothing like the sort of level that we've seen from him before that injury. But he looks on it now. I watched a bit of the Man City game um, a couple of weeks ago. He did one breakaway. That, oh, yeah. I can't. Did it lead to the second goal, or did it lead to a shot being saved? I can't remember. But I just the pace of him—he was so quick, it, absolutely rapid. It was like one of those things where I actually sort of—I was watching it by myself, and it, I actually had to sort of laugh at laugh at out loud at how quick he was. It's just like, geez, bloody hell, that was—he was rapid. And um, yeah, I, he's a really exciting player for me, Pedro Neto, and he would be absolutely one that I would very, very much like like to see Arsenal. Just before you get onto that. Let me just bring these questions up so we can sort of continue this theme. Okay, there's one from Mitral Valve, I think that is. says, question, Pedro Neto is a good player, may have potential with the right coaching to be great. How much is a fair fee for him? And while I understand Premier League proven it is a desirable quality, is it over-indexed? Brighton's Adringa isn't Prem proven, but he has been good in his time in the league. And then below that, I've got another one from, I think that's Kenjis198, is it? Um, says, with the interest in Pedro Neto, would the attack not be too stacked? We have Trossard, Nelson, Martinelli, Saka and Neto fighting it out for two positions. Considering Saka and Martinelli start when fit, uh, one of Trossard or Nelson would have to be sold. So there's a couple of things to consider there. What do you think, first of all, the, how much do you think would be a fair fee for Pedro Neto? Uh, <laughs> well, we've just been talking, haven't we, about what his presence would mean for Wolves' survival. So I think you kind of have to sort of say what Arsenal would think of as a fair fee, and I'm sure Arsenal would go into this, if their long-standing interest crystallises into a into a January offer. And I have to say, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I've not been told that anything is imminent from what I understand of the financials. It would certainly involve some some pretty detailed conversations with ownership, with um, Vinay about how you can finance that deal because Arsenal ran into complications financing, you know, the signing of David Raya, having not sold money. Like, you know, they managed to do it, but it was something that they had to consider. So mid-season signing, Pedro Neto, very expensive. And I think Mitral Valve asks a very good question there about, are we over... Are we just going? Well, we know he can do it in the Premier League, so we should. You should pay that price because Neto, 60, 70 million. I mean, I, you know, there are guys out there like a Jeremy Frimpong who's kind of established himself as a right winger. I think the guys Laurenti at Sassuolo, but but the Premier League experience really matters. And if you look at you know someone who's getting, like we say, an assist every hundred and thirty odd minutes in the Premier League, who looks like he's over the worst of those injury woes. And I think he's going to very soon have played more more minutes this season than he did in either of the two preceding seasons. You know, I, I think you have to be willing to go high 
for that player because of the knowledge that he can do it with a pretty ordinary Premier League team. I always feel like buying from abroad, you can get real quality, but it's just a lot more of a shot in the dark, especially with wingers, whether it's from a transition heavy league like the Bundesliga or like Serie A, um, one that is just a bit less, it doesn't exist at the Premier League's pace. It makes you think, could Arsenal have done the Moussa Tiabi deal uh, instead, I know it was one that, that that many of us were quite keen on, but that's in the past. Like, oh, Mitral Valve is right that it, that Premier League experience and proven quality is over-indexed, but given where Arsenal hope to be in January, it, it just it, it would feel like the right move. Is but, that is it more? important factor if you're signing someone in January I think it probably yes. is like you look back to last January when Arsenal signed Trossard in January and he just came in and was bang he was ready and he hit the ground running I think if you sign someone in summer and you can take them away you can get them on the pre-season tour you can bed them in a little bit that's it slightly easier but if you're coming in in the middle of the, middle of the season if you're going for the title which we hope fingers crossed Arsenal will be come January I think that's when it's more it's more an important factor isn't it that they're just there and they can just come in and bang they, they don't need to adjust to the demands they know the defenders they're going to be up against all that sort of thing I think is a really useful thing I don't think it's quite so important in the summer you get a little bit more leeway in that regard I think if you're looking at these 20 I was just I was just looking it up now his contracts till 2027 at mm. Wolves 23 I mean they're in a very strong position Wolves <laughs> in that How, regard. however financially it has been I think we don't fully appreciate how much they spent last season with Lopez Lopetegui to get that team safe mm. and they, they recouped a fair bit in the summer I know but you know Fosun are not like pouring money into that club anymore it, it's how much, not how much did City sign Nunes for yeah that's the problem they've got Nunes and uh, Nunes was getting on for 60 I think and yeah Rube... but what I mean is, is that they're not their, their finances are eased a lot by those two sales but it's not you know that I, I don't think they have the financial muscle that we maybe thought Wolves would a few yeah. years ago. But do you think they'd be able to ask for that much more for Neto than they did for Nunes? I don't think Nunes, Nunes is very about, good. So yeah, Nunes was about fifty-three million. Nunes, looking at it, it was fifty-three million. I think City got. I think I think sixty million is a is probably you'd get into a conversation maybe for sixty million. I think you've got to factor in. Jorge Mendes as well, of course, and you know what his, you know what sort of conversations he's had with Wolves. We know how influential he is at that club, and as you know, has has there been some sort of agreement when that new contract was signed with Neto? It wouldn't be be beyond the realms of possibility that there's some sort of number that he might well have already agreed with them. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't think it's going to be too long before we see Pedro Neto leave that club, and I do. Um, yeah, I very much do want the, to see do the injuries worry you at all? Uh, not necessarily. I think just because he's looking so fit fit now um yeah. that i think it looks like he's sort of got over those injuries that everyone you know, unless you're Bukai Saka, <laughs> pretty much everyone goes through bad has bad injuries don't we i mean martinelli's done it I, I wouldn't be worried if arsenal was signing martinelli now if he was at another club and had the same injury record that he's had since he's been at arsenal i wouldn't be worried about that i'd be very excited about that so not really and um, what do you reckon about the 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 question at the bottom there in terms of would arsenal be too well stacked would you have to move someone on potentially if you brought in someone like Neto because I mean there are a few you know Arsenal are pretty well stocked when it comes to players who can play out wide and um, I mean we've discussed Smith Rowe on here before haven't we but you know maybe Trossard or Nelson potentially Nelson I suppose um, it, I think uh, whatever it is we're Arsenal going to be bringing in players now from now on I think there are going to have to be some pretty sizable sales in the next year or so anyway to, to help with that so I think it's probably just a a matter of fact, really, that uh, some players might be going out fairly soon. Yeah, I mean, kind of as as Kenji said, there the numbers are, the numbers are, are sufficient in every position in the squad. It's about that uptick in quality. And I, I, I mean, I thought think if Neto comes in January or if he comes in the summer, to me that I would look at that and say that's it for Reese Nelson at Arsenal uh, if he wants to move. But it, but you know this is what you have to do, isn't it? If you start, aspire to be a title-winning team, you have to make those upgrades. You have to say to Reese Nelson, "Thanks for your service," but um, you know you might want to look for a different club because we're looking to get a better player. 
in this position. Um, so yeah, it, 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 they would be too stacked. They'd have to move someone on. But like you said, Charles, like can't think of many positions in this squad at the moment where there's just a an obvious hole for the long term and you go, okay, we'll just buy someone. We don't need to move someone out to make room. The, the squad has two players in every position and then the next few years will just be about upping the quality in all yeah. those positions. Yeah, I think so. Cool. All right. Well, let's talk about this weekend, shall we? It's just nice to have a game to talk about this weekend, actually saying, you know, three days away and what a game it is. Um, Arsenal versus Chelsea. You know, if Arsenal win this, it's four years in a row, four seasons in a row, they'd have won at Stamford Bridge. When you think of the misery we've had at Stamford Bridge in over the last sort of 10, 15 years, it's, uh, that's a pretty remarkable turnaround. And, and going into it on the back of that City win, you know, confidence is going to be high. We wait and see. I mean, Bukayo's obviously... It's going. We don't know yet what this, uh, how he's recovered. We hope we, we have suspicions and fit, but uh, we'll have to wait and see if those suspicions are realised. And he and he does indeed start at the weekend. Um, and what are your thoughts going into the Chelsea game about what we could could well expect and some of the sort of decisions Mikel's facing when it comes to his team selection? It's quite funny, isn't it? Because you you mentioned those four years. I almost think you can trace the growth of the Arteta project at Stamford Bridge. I know we always talk about the game at the Emirates where where everything changed, but, mm. you know, a few years ago, those wins at Stamford Bridge were slightly fluky wins against teams with like, bigger fish to fry. I remember, um, was it, in, uh, well, there was the game, was, was it Smith Row against Chelsea? Yeah, the 1-0. Just, yeah, just completely switch off because they're like, yeah, go on, lads, we've got Champions League to worry about. You have your win. And then if you take that all the way to uh, to last season where, I know it was only a 1-0, but it was like for a whole 90 minutes, Arsenal just held Chelsea at arm's length mm. and were like, yeah, we're not going to waste any energy. We don't need to be in you lot. Um, I think this one will be different because Chelsea have taken those strides forward. And of course, you know, even with Champions League considerations, we will, I'm, I'm certain, see a pretty much full strength team. I wonder what he does with Gabriel at the back flying in from Brazil, although considering that game was last night, so that's Tuesday night, isn't it? It's not, um, you know, it's not an unreasonable amount of time for him to get ready. So it feels like... Gabriel will start. Yeah. I mean, we've seen what happens when you don't don't use him. They don't look quite as solid. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's probably just the team, isn't it? The only question I have is whether... He goes for Rice Havertz, Rice Vieira, or Partey Rice. Um, do you have any preference in in those? I absolutely do. I did my regular show was kind of built around that this morning, in fact. And you know, I think he should. That's who I actually done. I've done my predicted. I've done my eleven that I would Let's go for, and this is it. Yeah. Um, if Partey's fit. Obviously, he got 64 minutes last night for Ghana. Got 45 minutes the game before, so he's you know he's building up his minutes. Should be back today, I would imagine. At Colney, then you got a couple of days of training and to assess him. And if there's no issues, if he's fine, you know, from the journey from the games, I'd be playing Thomas Partey. If Thomas Partey's not fit, I'd be playing Jorginho. I, I don't think this is a game. I, w- I wouldn't be playing Havertz at eight. I wouldn't be playing Vieira at eight. I'd, I think it's one of those games where you want two of your two of your sixes but with with rice obviously a little bit further ahead like just like we saw against manchester city mm. i think it's definitely the game for that um i just think the midfield is going to be a really key area i think that's chelsea's kind of strong yeah. point to be fair when you look at they're probably going to be up against caicedo and enzo i imagine and um for all chelsea's faults that that's a good they've got a good midfield mm. and i think you want to sort of try and win that battle if you do that you've got a good chance going on to win the game and you know, providing Saka's fit, I think it's hopefully going to be the first time we see the front three start together this season. And, you know, it could potentially be, looking at that, it's Arsenal's strongest 11, I would say. It, it's the 11 you would play, like, if there was a cup final yeah. tomorrow, isn't it? And I think you're absolutely right that, you know, I think I, the sense I've got sort of looking on social media, never the perfect reflection of the fan base, but I, I think there are a few many people pricing in three points at Stamford Bridge. And like you say, that is not something that we used to do uh, in the Arsenal community. And, you know, the points might not be there at the moment. Chelsea got 11 from eight, but Chelsea looked good. I've seen them a few times this season, saw them against Liverpool. 
they had their moments where they were better than a very good team. Um, and I, I would just, you know, if you have that Rice Partey midfield, you can be confident even against good players like Enzo and Caicedo that you're controlling that. And if you're controlling that and you've got that, that defensive four that's looking pretty solid at the moment, you know, you can be confident your forwards are going to take that. You know, they, they're going to win. You're going to win the game in both boxes, aren't you? I, I think that's what I look at seeing that team. This will be tougher than a lot of fans think. But with that really strong lineup, I, I think Arsenal have got enough. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's kind of the, the front three really interests me because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Arsenal this season not being as good, fluent, you know, not being as fluent going forward, not being as much of a threat going forward. But they haven't had that front three at all you know that's Arsenal's best front three and we haven't seen it yet this season if they can all be played together again I'm sure that Arsenal are going to look a lot lot better with certainly Odegaard behind him Odegaard's an interesting one um for, for me do you think he's kind of changed now as a player because is it obviously when he signed him he was this creative playmaker coming in to create chances for forwards that sort of stuff but is he he's now more of a it's like we've watched him transform into a goal scoring midfielder and has that kind of taken away the the kind of creative burden that he had and you know the, the sort of key pass type player that he that he was it's like are we seeing Odegaard sort of change into Odegaard part two now at Arsenal I'm really struggling with kind of with all this because like you say we've we've had 14 minutes of the front three and actually sort of Sack has been in and out of the uh, like 11 uh, obviously starting a lot but you know coming off a lot and on the right Arsenal have quite often been playing these systems with, with Partey stay at right back that means that Erdegaard hasn't quite been in that comfort zone that he likes I think to an extent we also forget that maybe what we saw last season of Erdegaard what was it 15 goals getting mm. on for that um, you know one of the top assist providers as well that it's not like that's the baseline for next season. And because he's a youngster, he will inevitably improve. Um, it might just be that like in a pure out output terms, it just doesn't come because the shots don't fly in. He makes a pass, but and a good pass, but a trailing leg of defender gets on it. And like, you know, the stats tell us that Erdegaard has been a little bit off it this season, but watching him, do you think he's been off it this season? Not I don't feel like he has. No, I thought he was great against Man City, um, albeit not, you know, a huge, huge threat. He led the press. He's so important in that. You know, he's literally the man who makes Arsenal tick going forward. I forget the Bournemouth game. He was exceptional. Um, Man United, uh, I thought it was good. Tottenham, for that first half an hour against Tottenham, he was unreal. Um, mm. So, no, I don't think he's really been off. I just think we're, it's, I just look at him now as a slightly different player. I just think he's potentially... We're, we're just kind of seeing him change a little bit in terms of what, what he was when he first signed and he's growing as a player and you know he's still so, so young and it's quite hard to pigeonhole him just purely as, a, say, a number 10 playmaker. I think yeah. maybe he's moving a little bit beyond that now and and he's, and he's just becoming more and more of a goal threat potentially and where sometimes he'd been passing, now he's shooting and it's just, it's changing a little bit. There's one one I really want, I was quite interested to ask. I got asked this question the other day and I wanted to ask you about it. I um Someone said to me, is Thomas Party underrated? Um, and it got me thinking, I was like, is Thomas Party underrated? But and then it made me think, who is who is underrated in this Arsenal squad outside of Arsenal? Who do you reckon? <laughs> oh, I think I know my answer to this. Who do you reckon is like the most underrated player at Arsenal from people out, you know, looking from the outside in now, you know, other fans and, and stuff like that when you look at this Arsenal team? Yeah, I think that's quite easy. It's Ben White, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. I think it's definitely Ben White. People are, I think the fact he's not playing for England as well, that people are just uh, just don't understand how good Ben White is. It, because also I think people think, you know, say like the tactics writers, for instance, that I really enjoy reading, maybe the ones that don't, that kind of have the data and have some of the sort of Y scout. I think the way they view Ben White is well Zinchenko inverts into midfield so White must really be a sort of third centre-back guy no no I mean he will do that if that's what's required he did it brilliantly against City he'll be that but then every once in a while he'll also be your classic overlapping fullback who again kind of like how Erdegaard hasn't created lots of chances this season White hasn't but his movement creates these avenues for others 
his understanding with Saka and like as much as I don't particularly think Gareth Southgate should be criticised for starting Kyle Walker, um, maybe the best right back, uh, one of the best right backs in the world over the last five, ten years, or even Reese James or Trent Alexander-Arnold. Like Gareth, you've got this brilliant like little pocket connection thing, whatever you want to call it. With Saka and uh, and White, you could re- that could really be effectively exploited. He is phenomenal. I think Partey. What people maybe don't appreciate is the quality of his passing and how Arsenal get this very quick ball when Thomas Partey is the one who gets it off the centre backs and moves through midfield. And I think Erdegaard might be more effective there. My feeling is that while he's playing very well, quite often he's going to get the ball yeah, rather yeah. than it coming to him quickly. And that that's meaning he's he's you know got to do more work to get to that passing position. But yeah, I mean Ben White is like is sensational. Um and one day he might get his flowers, but um I feel like it might not come outside Arsenal. I mean he's gonna get his new contract soon. Um so at least he'll be at least he'll show Arsenal value him and uh, don't underrate him. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Do you reckon ahead of Chelsea, do you think... um... Uh, and we know that Mikel loves to do this. What do you reckon he's going to do in terms of keeping cards close to his chest on Saka's fitness? Do you expect him to come out in the press conference on Friday morning and be like, yep, Saka's fit, he's playing? Or do you think we're going to see some of Mikel's uh, <laughs> injury team news mind games, do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know I've been nagging you that we should talk about this. I'm, I'm really glad you brought it up because... You know, I covered we covered both covered this club late in the Arsene Wenger days, and I think there was almost Arsene was almost too honest. Uh, you know, he would tell you things um, that kind of hadn't even been confirmed by the club doctors to him yet, but he would just sort of put this like, "Oh, Theo will be back in three weeks." It was always three weeks, wasn't it? Uh, and I see the sort of sporting reasons why that is unhelpful. I also sometimes get the feeling that that Arteta is um, kind of deliberately withholding the truth, knows things that he's just refusing to tell you. Uh, And with Saka in that pre-match press conference, you know, he said he's in contention. And then um, I think it was James Olley asked a few sort of follow-up questions that, that Arteta refused to answer. My one, what I wonder, and I don't know, I kind of digging around, but don't feel like I know for certain, is whether Ars- he really did know it's probably not happening. He's in contention, but it's a sort of 1% chance. And, you know, that he almost enjoyed the uh, kind of playing black ops or whatever you want to call it with Man City, trying to convince City to prepare for a team with Saka. And obviously we saw those stories doing the rounds in the 48 hours between the press conference and the game that Saka was going to be fit. They brought him to the Emirates, even though he wasn't fit. It's a little bit... Can I get one other thing? And then I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, Obviously, working for an American company, I think there's a very different culture of injury reporting in America, which I think is quite admirable. I think their view would be that fans expect to see the super, expect to know whether the superstars are playing when they go to the NBA games, when they go to the MLS. And this is very big in the context of Inter-Miami charging loads of money to see yeah. uh, the team that has Lionel Messi on. I think in England, we don't have that culture. If you pay for an Arsenal ticket, you're going to see Arsenal and you just you need to accept it's up to the manager who the best players are. But I do think there's a level where Arteta is sort of skirting close to like it being a little bit unreasonable what he do- says and doesn't say about injuries and what he keeps close to his chest. I mean, then I set all that against it's not his job to to provide injury updates. It's his job to win football matches. And mm. 
your opponent not knowing who might play gives you a, a marginal gain. So I do understand why he does it, but I do find it frustrating. Um, and I do wonder if at some stage he might actually end up just lying. I don't think he is at the moment. Yeah. Uh, well, I, frankly, I, I don't think he... We don't deserve to know, I don't think. That's true. Think, no, I don't think fans deserve to know. Because as fans, you want your team to win, don't you? And if mm. the coach not giving away the starting lineup is going to help win because the opposition manager is not going to know how to line up his team or who he could be going up against, then surely that's more important as a fan, isn't it? The knowing 24 hours before who's going to play and who's not. I get what you mean. Like the the messy... Why, America... why have managers for sort of 100 years beforehand just told the truth? I don't and know. told you everything that's happening. Well, yeah, it's their prerogative, I suppose. But I don't think they're any they they need to. You know, mm. I don't think they're I don't think they're being out of order if they just decide to do kind of what Mikel does and says they're in contention and then le- leaves it as yeah. that. No, sometimes he does say it. I think, but I think it's more in the ones who are kind of fifty fifty. I suppose those ones that I think you're perfectly within your rights to. Uh, the the one, <laughs> do you remember last year when Ukraine had? And announced that Zinchenko was injured and had done his done something and had announced it. And we sat in a press conference at Colney and we asked Mikel about it. I did. I literally asked him about it, and he was like, "Oh no, he's well, he's still in contention for this weekend." It's like <laughs> Ukraine just announced he's out for four weeks, and you're saying he's still in contention. <laughs> That's where you just like, "Oh come on, just tell the truth." You know, you don't have to be you don't have to be pulling the wool over our eyes for those ones. But I think the ones such as Saka for Man City, you know, if there was yeah. so I don't think he needs to be telling. I mean, Arsenal have gone maybe above and beyond recently. The, the one the other day, what was that before Man United when they put Thomas Party in the training pictures, even though yes, definitely wasn't training. But those rumours had started to emerge that Party had suffered an injury in training, and then <laughs> Arsenal put out the pictures, and in the background you saw Thomas Party, and it was like, oh, uh, I think a lot, a lot of fans maybe don't realise how aware Arsenal have become over the last three or four years that everyone goes through those trading pitches and every and you know because we used to do it you know part of your our job on a friday afternoon you would check those training pictures and if you saw that thomas Partey wasn't in them you'd hit the phone straight away and be like this or you know is is Partey out and i think they've become a did you see for um i think it was for city all of the pictures for sort of these very close cut like here yeah. is a picture of Emil Smith Rowe's face and nothing else. Or, well, I mean, when you're playing Man City and it's Arsenal versus Man City, yeah. margins are so slim. You don't want to give anything away, do you? And I can totally understand that. You know, when you're going up against a team you haven't beaten for twelve, you've lost twelve games in a row to. You want you don't want anything potentially influencing what Pep is thinking ahead of that game at all. You want everything to be a mystery, don't you? So I can completely understand that, to be fair. And I, the, the messy stuff is really interesting. Like, I, I remember I was watching I can't, one social media clip. It might have been ESPN FC, um, which genuinely, like, some of the stuff they talk about just drives me mad. Um, but they, um, someone was having a go saying, it's, you know, th- these fans are paying all these huge amounts of money to see Lionel Messi. And it's... You know, they deserve to know if he's playing or not. And because I think they'd, I think had, had Miami sort of wheeled him out for the last sort of 10 seconds of an open training he, session or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was, and he's always questionable. Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder if with Messi and Miami, there is like a specific thing of, no, 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 people are actually paying here to see, and they're paying a lot they more are, than they, they would. They're painting Messi. Yeah, they are paying to see Messi, aren't they? It's, it's very different, I suppose, with Messi. So I can kind of understand it in in that regard, especially when people are partying pure with hundreds and hundreds of dollars to oh, see thousands. Messi, and then if thousands, and he, then he's not, they, you know, there's no chance he was ever going to play in that yeah. game. And so you, I can kind of understand it. That that will sting for those people who are paying that amounts of money. But I think over here the culture is so different. You're not paying to see a player over here, are you? It doesn't matter who it is. You're paying to see the team and whoever's playing in that team. It, you know, that's what you're you're going to see. So I think it's. I think it is a little bit different. Um, right, let's move on, shall we? We've got some questions um, to sort of see us through to the end of the show. So let's uh, let's crack in onto some of those. Uh, we've got here one from Carlo. It says, hi, Charles. Question for you and James. Would you rather sign Ivan Tony in January or stick with what we have up front for the season and go all out for Victor Osimhen in the summer? 
I'll hand that one over to you. Okay. Yeah, Ossiman, no doubt. I love him. He's great. Uh, he's sort of Tony, but can do half a dozen other things. I mean, I don't like the sort of go all out. Am I? Am I sort of guaranteed Tony, but I have to fight for Ossiman? I mean, I'll take that fight. I think he's he's excellent. He's the probably going to be the best striker on the market, non Mbappe, for a fair few years. So um, I'd want to make sure that you're not priced out of that. Um, but I don't know. I feel like this show is turning me into the an Ivan Tony hater that I am absolutely not. Uh, I just think with this one, you've got to make the right decision. And the right decision is probably to wait it out and see if you can get an awesome man in the summer. I really like Ivan so Tony. I, I'm not an Ivan Tony hater like you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I like the idea of Arsenal signing Ivan Tony. But if you're saying to me, who would you prefer? Then yes, I agree. I think I would go for awesome and save my money if that was the straight choice and we're playing football manager here then i would probably save my money for the summer go with what we've got till the end of the season and potentially yeah add some more money to that kitty and try and get awesome and it's interesting how much awesome is going to go for in the summer if he does go he hasn't actually signed this new contract has he it's never been signed um no. it's always been he's gonna sign. yeah he's always like he's gonna sign it he's gonna sign it but it's never actually been signed so um, he's only 24 awesome men as well. I didn't realize he was 16. So he's a good four years younger. So he's four and years younger than Tony, or three and a half years younger than Tony. So, yeah, I'm in agreement. I think we both are that we'd probably both would with uh would wait for uh would wait for us. I mean, uh, do, you, do you reckon more what do you reckon is more important for us when we're talking on the Neto thing? Would you um do you think a strike central striker or a, a, another winger out of those? sort of two positions because like could you sign Osman and Neto together I mean that's a lot of money that is a lot of money uh I think I think in the there's this strange thing where I always think in in January I I feel like the wing is more important because you can make do and mend with Havertz I think Jesus is very good but then once it comes to the summer I think it may well be the time then to put your cash on the table and get the superstar striker the 35 goals a season in all competitions guy um and i know that's that's quite contradictory but hoping it makes sense maybe yeah no it does make sense i think i i get what you say um yeah it'd be nice to get both though wouldn't it indeed i mean osman's about to spend maybe six seven months playing football under antonio conte so i mean that guy's gonna want to walk anywhere else after conte gonna is conte gonna napoli it certainly appears that Rudy Garcia is not long for the job he's only just got. And uh, my colleagues in Italy sort of very confident that, that Conte's in the mix. Uh, <laughs> luckily, none of them live in Naples because I'm like, good God, you wouldn't want to go near that ground for eight months. Awesome men under Conte. That's an interesting one. Uh, yeah. I mean, Harry Kane did well. He it's did just do well. I just don't think anyone enjoyed watching it or playing in it. No. I think we're going to see Osman dropping in and becoming a number 10 under Conte. <laughs> oh, um, right, here's another one here from Charlie J1775 saying, Hi, Charles James. Arson signed some absolute gems, of course, but fair to say that wasn't the case for all of his signings. Who are some of your most memorable bad Arson signings? Stepanovs, Andre Santos, Kalstrom, Sonogo, particularly stand out for me. Thank you, Charlie. This is an interesting one. Looking forward to seeing. Yeah, Santos uh, off the list because of that game against Chelsea. Yeah, he was terrible in that first half against Chelsea, though. And then he went, and then he popped up with his goals with the goal to make. <laughs> Isn't that the joke? that was like that Arsenal team in microcosm yeah. was like for forty five minutes? You'd be like, God, what are you lot doing? Do you not know how to play football? And then they go and score five goals. Um, yeah, right, I'm, go, I'm going first. I'm going first. Go on. And this is the undoubted worst signing in Arsenal's history for me. 100%. It literally sends shivers down my spine. Mikhail, oh. Sil- Mikhail <laughs> Silvestre. He is the worst, worst signing that Arsene Wenger ever made. He was so bad. He was awful. And I know Stepanov genuinely could barely play football. But, <laughs> uh, and Silvestre is a far, far better player than Igor Stepanov was. But by the time Arsenal signed Silvestre, he was dreadful the fact that man united were happy to let him go to arsenal said all he needed it, it said all it should have been needed to be said and he was so bad he was genuinely genuinely awful i just 
he annoys me just looking at it annoys me that picture of that signing it was just a horrible time horrible time I, I I think that is the right answer because it it sort of has this holy grail of like not only was he bad for Arsenal you, like you said you kind of had seen him be good and for a lot of his Man United career you were like oh you know I swear Arsenal had been linked with him beforehand and you were like oh if Arsenal had got him that would have been great uh, and then Manchester United fans get to revel in how he fell off a cliff the minute he pulled on an Arsenal shirt you, you are right you have won. If I have to pick another option, the first name my head went to was uh, Park Chu Young. Um, mate, you should have just carried on doing your medical with with Lille or Lons or whoever it was. The minute he, I think almost with him, there was quite a bit of like excitement of like, oh, okay, we've got, got a number, another number nine, we've got ready to go here. And the first time he stepped on the pitch, you were like, "Yeah, nope, that's not it." Yeah, we don't want he, him. He, he barely got a chance, though, did he? He scored. Yeah, the, did he score in the League Cup? He did score a goal in the I League Cup. I have his Cup. Wikipedia page up, so I will tell you he scored in the. No, it's not. Oh yeah, uh, no. Oh yeah, Bolton in the League Cup. Yeah. I remember him scoring at the Emirates. He scored against Bolton, and that's finish. always a plus for any Arsenal player. Yeah, it was quite a good finish. I seem to remember, sort of curling finish. Um, yeah, that obviously didn't work out too well. But I do feel like he never ever. We never really got a chance to see him, potentially because he was so bad that we never got a chance to see him. Another one, I mean, again, not a bad, not definitely not the worst footballer, but in terms of like really bad process, Lucas Perez, yeah. Arsenal want him, don't are offered him, don't want him, aren't offered him, decide they want him, uh, and then he never plays. Um, although when he does, he plays really, really well. Uh, and then I think they paid 18 million for him, got three back. Yeah. I mean, that was like, that was when money was being wasted at Arsenal. And we yeah. should say it wasn't all, you know, the, the Unai Emery, Rouse and yeah, years. That was a real waste of money. Yeah. I'm just looking at the question again. I'm trying to see if it was like, yeah, who is coming I don't on? like having some no go in there. We, I'm wondering if we're looking at like terrible players or terrible money. I mean, <laughs> Worst money for value. Obviously, you're talking about Nicolas Pepe, aren't you? And so, oh no, we're talking about Arsene Wenger signings, aren't we? Oh, sorry, we're talking about Wenger signings. Oh well, Mustafi's right up there. Thirty-five million. <laughs> Thirty-five million for Mustafi. Certainly other. Julio Baptista, definitely. For, he was awful. I know he scored yeah. four goals at Anfield, and it was a brilliant night. He, he, the Beast scored four goals at Anfield, but take that one game out of it. He was dreadful for such a talented player who I'd really wanted Arsenal to sign because, like the two years leading up to him arriving on loan. Arsenal had really tried to sign him permanently for Real Madrid. It looked like they were going to. It didn't work out. We finally got him. And there was lots of excitement about Arsenal signing this big, powerful number nine type player. And he was so bad. His first oh, touch. His, my first touch was better than his. And um, and I've got a terrible first touch. He was really disappointed. He's right up there for me as one of the most disappointing signings in terms of what he actually contributed when he signed. Yeah, and they're the ones I remember. I don't remember, like, to be honest, I don't remember much of Stefanovs except that game against Man United because you quite early on are like, yeah, I'm not having him. It's crap. Yeah, he, he, was, I, genuinely, he was genuinely terrible, Igor Stefanovs. He was just, he he basically won a competition sign for Arsenal. That's what he, <laughs> that's what he, that's what he looked like. He was, he was that bad. Like, people compare, like, Sigan to him, which is really unfair because that's Sigan disrespectful. was... Yeah, Sigan was, you know, he wasn't brilliant, but he was a decent player and an important player for Arsenal and had some good, you know, good games. But Stepanos was genuinely <laughs> a pub player who somehow ended up playing for Arsenal. Another one for the um, players I thought would be great that I, I kind of really resent, uh, Nelson Vivas. Yeah, I've got... Big dislike in it, just yeah. because of that game against Leeds. Against that Leeds, we lost the title, and he went walk about at the back post. And, let and I've been watching the I've been watching the Beckham documentary reluctantly. I have to say, it's good. Um, I liked it. Yeah, but you know what? It brings back a lot of chastening memories. Yeah. And I thought there was. I was like, okay, well, we'll we've got to watch um, the England Argentina game. Give us, you know, the, the the opening of the next episode should be, but don't worry, Argentina didn't get to win the World Cup. Here is 10 minutes of Dennis Bergkamp's goal against Argentina for the Netherlands. Um, yeah, it, that that documentary is painful because it brings back all those times that Arsenal should have spoiled Man United's day. Um, and I spent an awful lot of the bit around uh, United beating Spurs to win the league in the treble game. Fucking Nelson I didn't. Vivas. I didn't watch that bit. I didn't watch that. Yeah. 
um yeah 1999 i i will die still bitter about 1999 that will never leave me it was just just the fa cup semi-final is up there as the most painful games i've ever been at um the replay and then yeah the fact that arsenal should have won the league didn't vivas go and walk about against leeds on a penultimate game yeah, they should have. They they were so lucky, United that season. They should have got nothing. Literally, shouldn't have won a trophy. They got hammered by Bayern Munich <laughs> in the final. Managed to sneak two injury time goals. We were we beat them three nil twice. Once in the Charity Shield. Once at Highbury. Drew at Old Trafford. We're miles better than that year, and ended up losing after because of a penalty. But you know what? It's the oh. it's the way you'd want to win the treble, isn't it? You know, one wants to win it the City way, where it's not that hard. You want to win it kind of when you shouldn't. I'll always be bitter about that. Yeah, I actually want to move on from this because just talking yeah, about 1999 really Please. does bug me. Right, next one. Oh, God. Oh, God. Get, get I've, brought, I've brought Mikel Silvestre back on. Just giving myself nightmares again. Uh, right, Ben Brown. Hey, guys. Would yourself and James like a Saudi takeover after? Will it be the only way forward in the next few years? Um, I've just got, well, for me, no. I absolutely don't want state ownership at Arsenal. Never do. Never will. End of. <laughs> for the... For James Benj, it would be like the greatest thing ever. Who would tell? He would get every story going in the world. He would break every single transfer news there is going because there is only one Saudi correspondent. Which is why it it shows how good a person I am that I absolutely would crawl over broken glass for Arsenal to not get taken over by a Saudi Arabian club. It's the same reason that you never want to manage Man City on Football Manager. It is... Whether actually or like, you know, with 115 charges or, you know, with the um, intriguing sponsorship deals Newcastle are making with Saudi airlines that um, might not even exist. It's just not, I don't really believe it would be that much fun to win that way. I know that there are Arsenal fans that have grown up and not seen them win the league and they want to see Arsenal win the league. But it's it's cheat mode. It's turning down the difficulty setting on your video game um to easy when you are better than easy i don't want it i don't want that and i don't particularly want every sort of goal to and every exciting moment to, to be like oh god you know every great moment you think oh what's this doing for saudi arabian soft power um you know all respect to saudi arabian fans that want to play football if footballers in want to go to saudi arabia to earn money that's their choice but if i'm in a position where I can say you can't Saudi Arabia can't take over Arsenal. Yeah, I don't want it. No, I don't actually. Not one hundred percent. I don't want it. I think I, I. I do wonder if like the age of fan, um, yeah, sort of dictates the answer to this question. And I think obviously, like you said, we've all seen Arsenal win the title and all that. And but I just don't think most people, certainly my age, your age, you young whippersnappers like you. Even, <laughs> um, would just would just want it. I just don't think it just wouldn't. It wouldn't. A, a win wouldn't feel the same as a win for me in that. And I know a lot of people will probably disagree with me, and a lot of youngsters will probably disagree with me on that. And they'll be like, "Sod it, take the money. Let's just let's just win." But it just wouldn't feel the same to me. And it would Arsenal would. It would just. It would just feel very very different to me. So the, I, I the have... one thing I have to say, there is no owner in the world that I mean. I think I think PR for. The Saudi Arabia for a, a regime that murders, you know, inflicts the death penalty on its own population is beyond the pale. But there is no option out there that doesn't make you feel a little bit icky. I really don't like the fact that the Cronkies have donated money to the Trump campaign. Mm -hmm. I, if I were a Man United fan, I would feel really uncomfortable about the pollution being put out by Ineos. And is Manchester United just being used to make you think of Ineos as a sports brand rather than one of the biggest polluters in the United Kingdom? Like there are none where you don't have to like at some stage separate your love for the team and ethics, but it's a little bit easier with with KSE with uh, Jim Ratcliffe than it is with kind of any country anywhere in the world that's just doing this to launder their reputation. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a, I just think if you win something with. And it sounds stupid because you're talking about multi-billionaires in KSE. I mean, literally billionaire, you know, huge amounts of money, huge amounts of resource. But it still just feels, especially with modern football, that if you win something with just a billionaire yeah. rather than a state owner, it kind of would feel 
it just would feel you know if Arsenal beat Manchester City with City's unlimited riches and it's not plucky old Arsenal and all that sort of stuff because obviously it's not you still got a billionaire owner but it still would just feel something even more and mean something even more and it's why every single time Man City I, I always want Man City to win now if Arsenal aren't going to win I want Man City to win yeah. just because it means nothing to me I just it's just like oh well they should win they you know look at how they've done it whereas I'd much rather them win it than Chelsea or Tottenham or Man United even, um, or, and things like that, just because those, if those teams won something, I'd be like, oh, that just really hurts. I hate it. But when Man City win it, it's just like, it just goes so straight over my head. It's just like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. They, they, should, they should be winning it. And if they if they don't, then, you know, they've completely failed. So, um, so yeah, uh, I think we're both quite uh, in the same sort of boat when it comes to this one. I think we've got one more. In fact, I think we've got a couple more. Um so Azeem here, this is taking us back, James. This will take you back, what, to about 2005, probably, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> There's a way uh, back before then. What are your first memories of Arsenal? So what are your first memories of Arsenal, James? Uh, I'm on holiday in Sorrento. Uh, TV's on. Don't know why this is on. But Dennis Bergkamp is scoring a hat-trick at Filbert Street. Um, and it was him. I don't know what it was about him, but well, I mean, you know, you do now it's Dennis Bergkamp. He's an alien. Uh, and I just was like, that's the team I want. Uh, and I'd sort of flitted and I, you know, I'm, I'm from the Midlands. Uh, my dad is a Chelsea fan. I have no connection to Arsenal, but Dennis Bergkamp, which is why I will refuse to meet Dennis Bergkamp at any opportunity because you should never meet not even your heroes. This is like meeting Zeus for me. But only bad things can happen when you meet the gods. And Dennis Bergkamp for me is is God. He yes, he most certainly is God. Um, I can't believe your first memory of Arsenal was Dennis Bergkamp. It makes me feel so old. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that game at Filbert Street annoys me as well. Talking about like seasons that annoy me. That game annoys me. It's kind of similar to, but not quite as bad of when the Champions League, a game when Arsenal lost in the quarterfinal at Anfield, when Walcott did that amazing run. But then that should have been Walcott's big moment. But then obviously the game straight afterwards, yeah. Arsenal conceded a goal, lost 4-2 after a horrible penalty was given. And so it sort of took away from the moment. And that game at Philbert Street, you know, Burkamp did that amazing thing, scored to make it 3-2 in the 94th minute. And then Arsenal still went and conceded an equaliser to Steve Walsh about a minute later and drew 3-3. <laughs> It still bugs me. I still uh, don't remember that. Yeah, that does. Um, yeah, my first memories of Arsenal. Well, my dad grew up literally where the Emirates now stands on Hornsey Road. Um, he's a Holloway boy. And so Arsenal was just from when I can remember Arsenal's been in my life. Um, Charlie Nicholas was playing and I loved the fact he had the same name as me. Because my two brothers, actually, one's a Liverpool fan, one's a Charlton fan. They were both Liverpool fans. Because um, that was the era Liverpool obviously would dominate in, in the 80s and stuff like that. Mm. And, and so they both, my dad somehow let both of them slip through the grasp and they were Liverpool fans. And so I could easily have gone down that route. But for some reason, he managed to <laughs> get me on the right path. And I think Charlie Nicholas was definitely a big part of that. The fact that he had the same name as me. And I really loved it. Uh, I really loved that. And then, and then yeah, my, I think the first really big game I remember was losing to Luton in the League Cup final in 90 in sorry in 80 88 that was because I can't even though Charlie Nicholas scored the two goals against Liverpool in 87 in the final when they won I can't remember watching that game although I'm sure I did but I remember losing to Luton in the following final in 87 or in 88 and um crying my eyes out that Arsenal had lost to a last minute Brian Steen winner and Nigel Winterbird had missed a penalty to make it 3-1 in that final. And my mum sent me to my bedroom <laughs> because I was saying I wanted to kill Nigel Winterbird. Oh, and she, no. sent, she sent me to my room because I was in such a state and, uh, and saying that. And so, yeah, that's, that's your I, toxic I think, fandom days. I, I know. I think that's my first real memory of a big, big game. And my first match that I actually went to Highbury was 19, in the 88-89 season against Sheffield Wednesday. Drew one all. Uh, Merce scored from an Alan Smith cross. Inveverardi scored for Sheffield Wednesday in front of the North Bank to go 1-0 up and then we equalised so that was my first game so yeah those no, I, our audience of children on YouTube is gonna, gonna, the last five minutes to them is going to mean absolutely nothing <laughs> I'm sure there's some some please be some my age who is watching this and actually know what I've been talking about for the last five minutes or so then right have we got another one to end I think yet yeah, this is the last one 
now here. It's from Scott. Says, hi, Charles. Scott here. As always, thanks for the top-notch content. Thank you very much, Scott. My question for you and James is this. You know how some coaches try to take their favourite players with them when they take a job at another club. Mourinho used to do this a lot. Which two or three players do you think Arteta would want to take with him from the current squad if he were to, brackets, and I'm certainly not wishing this, move to a different club? And do you think the choice of players he'd take would vary depending on if he stayed in the Premier League or went abroad? Such a good question. Coach, it is a good question, this. Um, right, I'll go first on this one. I think he would, Martin Odegaard, I think he would want to take. I think Odegaard's his man on the pitch. It's his captain. I think it's obvious that everything goes through Odegaard. I think he would absolutely take him. I think he would take if he could, Bukayo Saka, because who the hell wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think he would be mad if he didn't. And then is there anyone else he would definitely try and take with him? I mean, you'd be mad not to try and sign Saliba, I would say. <laughs> if you were a manager and you're going somewhere else, you would just, yeah, why, again, similar to Bukayo Saka, I think you'd just be mental if you didn't try and sign Saliba. So I'd probably go with those three players. I think purely Saka and Saliba because of their out-and-out quality and how good they are but I think Odegaard in terms of how him and Arteta just think alike and see the game alike and um, Odegaard has everything Arteta wants from a player in that sort of position so I'd, I'd probably go with them. Yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head and obviously this is an entirely theoretical question because uh, the minute if, if Mikel Arteta ever does leave and obviously we hope that doesn't happen but the minute he does, I'm locking all the doors in Colney. No one is getting out of there alive. No one is getting out of there for the next three years. No one leaves because um, what Mikel Arteta has built there is a really great squad. I, I think they are the first three. I throw a couple of other na names in the mix, though, um, mostly because there's players he's so coveted. David Raya, who we know he, he's pretty much been signing, trying to sign since the day he got in at Arsenal and Inyaki Kana, Kanya joined him. Um, I think you could probably see him taking Rye. He's got such a particular set of skills um, that it's really clear Arteta wants in a goalkeeper. And then the other one would be uh, Gabriel Jesus um, because Arteta clearly, you know, we we saw his powers of persuasion on Jesus when so many other clubs wanted him. He's He's done great things with him at City and Arsenal. Um, so they would be the the two obvious uh, ones for me, Zinchenko as well. But I mean, he would be if Arteta does go, you, he'd want half that squad, wouldn't he? Where because where does he go where he has a better group of players than um, Arsenal? There's not, not many options. Um, City, maybe like a Bayern or um, maybe City, Bayern, Real Madrid. Where well, you wouldn't go to Real, Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. That, that's it. And the, the good news is only one of them has the money to, uh, say, to really... Un... <laughs> he oh, can go to Barcelona and try and... They, they can put in a sort of loan offer for Saliba where they pay £20 million next year and, and see where that takes him. I think the hope has got to be that even though I can't see Arteta doing a Wenger-length stay, I don't think there are going to be many jobs out there that, that tick all his boxes. The one that you'll always worry about, I think, will be Barcelona. I don't. I don't know about City. It's obvious he's, they would consider him. I wonder, given the last few years, and I think it'll depend on when Pep goes and what Arsenal have won by then. Yeah, I wonder how how this sort of rivalry between the two yeah. clubs as well. It's like, will it become as say heated as the City Liverpool rivalry became, and you know, and the hatred that sort of built up between those two clubs during that rivalry? Would that happen or, with Arsenal? Or and even because there was always that talk, wasn't there that? If Fergie was to ever leave United, they would love Arsene Wenger to take over. And he, he just, I think he just felt like he couldn't, didn't he? Mm. I, I think don't think Arteta the United would fans would have wanted him anyway, would they? Again, that sort of built up that sort of hatred <laughs> and that rivalry that existed. It just made it almost impossible for that to even be a possibility, isn't it? Because of that, uh, the, the, just the rivalry it was so intense wasn't it uh, for those two teams so I think he, he obviously has that relationship with City I don't think that relationship has got strained to the point where they wouldn't try and appoint him potentially if Pep were to leave in the next year or so but I do wonder if this rivalry continues over say two three four seasons 
if that would change because it would just become so intense. We've already kind of seen it at the end of the last game, you know, with the Nicholas Yeva, Kyle Walker spat. It's, it's maybe those sort of things are beginning to build between these two teams at the moment. So I think that will play a big sort of part in in how City potentially view Arteta. But anyway, I hope that never even happens anyway. We don't talk about that. And, <laughs> You've uh, got more chapters to get out of the book. And, uh, yeah, and for now, uh, and for now, he's very much an Arsenal man. And uh, hopefully we get that glorious... Glorious title at the end of it all at some point. Look, what we are now, an hour and five minutes. So we have rambled on a little bit. Um, been a good show though, James. Enjoyed that? I very much enjoyed it. Very fun way to spend the day. Good. What we got next week? We've got um, Champions League next week, haven't we? Is that... Uh, it's a Tuesday, Tuesday I think. Tuesday night, so I isn't it? We'll so another Wednesday, Wednesday for us. Yeah, I think yeah. Wednesday makes sense for this. Hopefully reacting to a, a better Champions League away day result than we got last time over in... Uh, over in Did I tell you I've got my accreditation back now? For, oh, for the Premier League? Yep, yep. So coming viewers will be seeing you. I mean, we're, we've said, haven't we? Coming to you soon. Back, back again. I'm going to be doing come back. Going to be doing some match stuff for goal again. Uh, just purely, just purely Arsenal match stuff um, for them. Um, not every game. Uh, home games. Most home games at the Emirates. I'm still going to be in my seat. We mainly be away games. Um, but yeah, I uh, I shall be back in the press box. Much like soon. CBS have discovered with me, you just get the Arsenal games. Yeah, um, but that, we uh, we've said, haven't we, that we will have a look at doing some uh, some stuff on site as the yeah. season wears on. Yeah. Um, so viewers and listeners should should keep an ear or an eye peeled for that as well, yeah. I think. But I'm not at Stamford Bridge this Saturday because I'm at Frankfurt talking. I'm a guest speaker at the World Book Fair in Frankfurt on Saturday, um, which should be interesting. So looking forward to that. And then What I get that is for them. I know. Who else is there? Dickens? J.K. Rowling? What? Uh, <laughs> Gillen Balagay is there. He's talking. Oh. Um, uh, before me on the same stage about an hour before me he's talking about his book which has sold slightly more copies than my book <laughs> is this messy, the pochettino book you know the messy, messy his book. messy book which, did you uh, see yeah. his um poch gifted the um his balagay's book on spurs to Mikhailo mudrick i did see that. i'm like yeah. give give him a bit like give him a that book is, about is that a winning team a really really weird gift to give to a chelsea player about a time when you were at tottenham manager i just thought it was it's a really weird gift. it's incredibly partridge it's so like here's a copy of bouncing back yeah. um it's i i love potch but it's a really partridge thing to do yeah i wonder if you read it it's a good goal by madrid did you see that zinchenko told madrid that if he scores against arsenal on saturday he's going to rip his balls off <laughs> made me laugh. This <laughs> is post-match interview after the Ukraine game yesterday. It was like, yeah, I told him I'm going to rip his balls off if he scores on Saturday. Quite a sight. Oh, Zinny, what guy? Yeah, and a good goal by Madrid actually. And so it's made me already start thinking. Yeah, he's guaranteed to score this weekend, obviously because narrative and all that. Are Arsenal naming the Malta defence? Malta went in front in that game. You see, San Marino. San Marino's got scored against Denmark. That San Marino tweet was just gold it was gold oh that's sensational yeah. that was yeah great week of international football but by god i'll be glad when it's over yes and it is back the premier league is back on saturday and that is a perfect way to end it cheers james speak to you next week mate speak next week bye bye tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.